Hey there, I'm Jo, and this is Looking Outside. Join me and some of the most influential and original thinkers in business and beyond as we explore fresh takes on familiar topics. Welcome back, everyone, to Looking Outside. Today, we are talking about something very topical, activism in business, the power, the privilege, and the responsibility of business leaders to champion positive progress. We're not doing this theoretically or observationally, but firsthand with activist entrepreneur, Seth Goldman. Welcome to the show, Seth. Thank you, Joe. It's so nice to be with you. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on to share your experience and your thoughts with us. So I think you're very well known in the industry, but for those of you who are less familiar with Seth, do you mind introducing yourself? Sure. And I appreciate that introduction as an activist entrepreneur, because I do think of myself as an activist before anything. And and just for me, business has been the vehicle I've chosen to be an activist through. And so This all started for me in 1998 when I launched Honest Tea out of my house in Bethesda, Maryland and brewed up five thermoses of tea and I had an empty Snapple bottle. I pasted a label on and got in front of a Whole Foods buyer and pitched the buyer on the idea of carrying a less sweet bottled tea. And that initial meeting led to uh, getting our product into Whole Foods. We were then the first brand, so starting with less sweet tea and then the first to launch organic bottled tea. That was in 1999. And then in 2003, the first to launch Fairtrade certified bottled tea. And then we scaled Honest Tea so that everything we sold was organic and fair trade, as well as lots of unsweetened varieties. And Honest Tea was sold to Coca-Cola in 2008, or first partially sold to 2011 is when they bought the entire brand. I stayed on through 2019, but in 2015, I shifted my role. So I spent half my time with Honest Tea. And the other half of my time I spent as executive chair of the board of Beyond Meat, which is a company I'm still chair of the board, but I helped from 2015 through 2020. I helped that business scale, go public, expand internationally. And then in 2020, I changed my role again. So I became a co-founder of a restaurant chain called Plant Burger. And shortly after that, I launched another consumer packaged good business called Eat the Change, which seeks to bring to market planet-friendly, nutrient-dense snacks. And so for me, the causes that I act about, that I care about, certainly climate, where our food is our single biggest imprint on the planet, and how the choices we can make can really have represent our own personal climate footprint. Health and nutrient you know, density in the foods we consume so that we aren't eating empty calories and you know, the U.S. having just unsustainable obesity rates, we have to think about it. And frankly, health outcomes, we have to think about how to make our nation healthier. And so food is, is a primary vehicle for doing that. And then also a concern around the supply chain and wherever possible, how do we help lift up the working and economic conditions of people being involved in producing the foods we consume? I'm going to continue to act on these issues I care about as as long as these issues are still (laughs) issues. And and Mm -hmm. I guess uh, from from that perspective, I've got good job security. They're going to be, (laughs) I wish (laughs) these problems would go away, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. No, unfortunately not. But I think what you have achieved and you've just listed like so many amazing accomplishments and, and positive change, which is incredible. And I'm, I'm really curious. So, you know, when you said at the start that you were sort of pitching honest tea, 
you were like that one person with an idea and a vision and wanting to do better. I think that a lot of people see activists like that versus I think what you are now, which is also a very successful public voice mm. and business man. Mm-hmm. So do you still internally, do you still think of yourself as like that one guy pitching change to oh, the world? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, not hopefully there's more than one, there's, but, but I certainly think of myself. Well, look, in a sales pitch, I have to convince the buyer why this product is needed on their shelves. And it's not because I want to change the world. It's because it's got to sell. It's, you know, so, so in a sales meeting, my language will be a little different. I'll talk about, in the case of you know, an honest tea or a just iced tea, consumers need more calorie diversity in, in what they're drinking, that Organic is an important way for consumers to act on the environmental things they care about and the, and taste the product. It's delicious. Like I have, mm. that's what's, and, and by the way, the label is beautiful or <laughs> the brand name is meaningful. Mm. All of those things have to come across. So there's, there will be several meetings, you know, where I won't dig into the activism piece, but that doesn't mean the activism doesn't happen. Right. And then vice versa. I could have tons of activism packed into a package or into a product. If it doesn't sell, then the activism doesn't happen. It's just a thought exercise. So my first responsibility to a buyer is to make sure I'm presenting them with something that's going to sell. And as long as that's the case, then the buyer probably doesn't really, I mean, maybe it's to their benefit. Maybe they like to see the organic or fair trade or, or to see us, you know, support different communities, but in a sense, as long as I'm my product sells on their shelves, I kind of have the license to do whatever I want behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And I mean that in a, in a positive way. I mean, I, I don't have the license to go out and put a fair trade on if it's not fair trade. But I'm, I'm saying that I have the oppor- I have a license to do uh, address all the issues I care about. Mm. And it's starting from that really tangible sort of business, profitable business structure, which which I really like. As you said, you know, it's not a thought experiment. It's still about (laughs) creating a self-sustaining business and being super efficient, as you put it. And and just to expand on that, you know, what's nice about what we're doing now with Just Iced Tea is these other brands I've talked about, whether it was Honest Tea or Beyond Meat, you know, now I get in front of a buyer and they know I've got a track record. So the fact that I've developed products that have sold well, gives me credibility with the buyer. Because look, when I'm at Eat the Change, we've launched product categories that haven't existed before. So whether it's a mushroom jerky or a carrot chew, like those are those are usually not on the shelf. And one of the reasons the buyer is willing to give it a try is because I have had that experience. So there is a benefit to having done this well before. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's so important, particularly when we're talking about activism inside of that business space, is to to think about how you can build a track record of success that will make, you know, a mutually beneficial relationship and that will hopefully reach scale while doing something positive. And not every founder or activist in business is sort of born with that kind of business savviness. A lot of them are you know, they might be really passionate about clean energy and then they move into business or they're like Patagonia, yeah. right? They're a climber and they move into business. So how did you stretch yourself from sort of where you started into being a businessman? Yeah, well, part of it has been evolution, right? I, I've, I've certainly had some less successful <laughs> uh, ventures within honesty and, and sort of learning from those. But I definitely did approach it from where my passions were. And in the case of honesty or the beverage industry, my passion just came from the fact that I, I was, I, I'm a runner, so I was always thirsty. And so I, I had a lot of familiarity of what was on the beverage shelf mm. and I knew what was missing. And I, I knew I could get excited about 
putting or offering a less sweet drink. Mm. And then, you know, there was, there's certainly been moments at Honesty over the years where our activism probably, probably leaned too much into it. So we, going back in 2002, we had an unsweetened herbal tea from Africa and the ingredient was called honeybush. It was something people hadn't ever really tasted in the United States. And we really leaned into the sourcing story and people didn't know what it was. Like, you know, we talked about the community and, and the product, by the way, did not take, it was unsweetened. It just didn't taste good. We had some, so you've got to make sure you put the consumer first. And so going back to what I said, when it sells, you've got all the license you want to do. And so by contrast, when we launched our peach oolalong, and which was the first fair trade bottle tea, that was a delicious tea. We had a beautiful and fun artwork on the label. It was actually a cartoon designed by a famous cartoonist. And that product is still one of the top selling teas, if not the top selling bottled tea in the natural foods industry. So all the fair trade of it was just extra bonus points. And it, it certainly didn't hurt the product, but mm. you've got to make sure it sells. Yeah, definitely. And I love how you said putting the consumer first and really sort of designing around that and maybe in a lot of ways, baby steps towards something really positive. Yeah. But here's a really important clarification because I've heard others talk about, well, you know, it's not our job to tell the consumer what they want. And I kind of, I actually reject that. I, I believe we have the opportunity and, and the responsibility to help shift consumers towards more sustainable foods, more sustainable for the planet and more sustainable for them. And so I reject the idea that the, I mean, no, there's no question the marketplace is powerful and I, I can't change the marketplace, but I can nudge a lot. And the fact is, you know, at Honest Tea, we knew our products were much less sweet than the prevailing choices. And if we had only goal was business success, we would have made Honest Tea sweeter from the start and we would have sold more. But if the goal was to help really people evolve their diets, then we had to. It took a lot more effort. It's a lot harder to sell a drink with lower calories. And by the way, Honest Kids, the kids product we brought out is even more vivid evidence of that because selling to kids, you know, you can sell sweet things to kids all day long. That's like, what they say, shooting fish in a barrel, though I hate that analogy. But like giving candy to a that's baby. Like, yeah, it is like, <laughs> it is literally giving candy to a baby. Mm -hmm. But giving a less sweet drink to a child is a much harder thing. Mm -hmm. And I do believe we found just the right formula for doing that with honest kids. And, and to me, that's why I'm both proud and, and I think that work is much more important. When you can help a child or any person shift towards a lower calorie appetite, then you start to ingrain behaviors that lead to change their trajectory for their mm. diet. And of the same, of course, if you can move them toward organic or towards planet-friendly foods, these are, it's harder. It's harder work, but it is, I think, that's why, that's where the activist part of it comes in. And that's why I get so excited about it. Yeah, definitely. And when it comes to food activism, there are so many issues to tackle, whether it's ethical treatment of animals, food waste, food distribution, sourcing with suppliers and that relationship that you were mentioning before, farming practices. And they tend to come across as being very systemic problems that we need to address yeah. and not necessarily consumer-facing problems, although we know that they are and they do impact the consumer. I think there's kind of that perception of activism as being in that realm of like, you're fixing these big foundational issues over here. They've got nothing to do with consumer behavior over here. So how do you bridge that gap between sort of activism as it's maybe traditionally known with, you know, that more consumer-led perspective? Well, you always got to keep that lens about the consumer in mind. 
even if I'm personally passionate about these things, I've got to make sure the package is beautiful or the branding makes sense or the product inside is just plain delicious. So you just can't let your activism steer your judgment. One of the things that's <laughs> used to be the most painful is when we used to have to discontinue a particular variety. One of our very earliest products we brought out was this amazing Native American recipe called First Nation Peppermint. It was a herbal tea. And I just was so attached to the community we were sourcing from. It was in um, the Crow Indian Nation in, in Montana. Beautiful label, beautiful tea. And the product got discontinued. And I, I just, I refused to accept it. I, I, and yet this was the marketplace speaking. And so... And I said, well, let's just keep selling it. And my sales team said, well, what are you going to do? Like if, if the distributors aren't, you know, if the largest retailer is not going to carry it and the distributors aren't going to carry it, you can't just, <laughs> you don't, you don't achieve anything when you insist on sort of going against what the marketplace is telling you. Mm. And so even now I'm still plotting how I'm going to get that First Nation peppermint recipe back on the shelves. So what was neat about this whole experience we're going through with Just Ice Tea is you, you do get a second chance to find a way to act on the things you care about. But I've got to, I've got to keep in mind, okay, what do I learn about why it didn't work the first time? How do I evolve to make sure it will work this time? And what that means is I've got to understand the consumer more. I've got to understand the buyer more. And, and I also have to understand maybe the context you know, has changed. That was literally more than 20 years ago when we launched First Nation Peppermint. So how have times changed now where that might be more welcome or, or maybe not? Well, and judging by the huge line of people that you had for the Plant Burger Broadway opening yeah. in NYC, <laughs> people are more eager to make those changes in their own habits and rituals. So it feels like definitely the consumer landscape has changed over the last few decades and that accessibility of different options that you're part of bringing to the market is a huge part of that. Yeah, there's a lot of curiosity. There's a wonderful curiosity people have. Everybody knows the path we're on is not sustainable. And so we're all trying to figure out how do we get there? And and there's both a culinary, like what does it taste like to have these different, you know, plant-based diet, but what does it taste like when a world-class chef treats it this way? Yeah. So there's no question that there's a lot of willingness to, to come on this journey with us, mm. but it's still early for a lot of people. And yes, the line for the launch of Plant Burger on Broadway was really gratifying to see because it shows we're onto something. So what are the big sort of watch outs that you have in the back of your mind? Because I'm automatically thinking like, can I get it delivered to me? And therefore I'm thinking of the environmental impact of the delivery model. So what's sort of like something that you keep in the back of your head to not sort of bastardize the idea? Yeah, you really do have to keep that. It's a great example. So now as I think about bottled tea, let's just talk about that for a little bit. So, okay, we're launching bottled tea. The single biggest impact of any bottled tea product is the package itself. And so I've got to think about, all right, but now with this brand, Eat the Change, where everything we're trying to do is on the leading edge of environmental responsibility, we've got to rethink packaging. And we won't be doing the plastic bottle for Eat the Change. And that's because there are just so many negative issues associated with plastic. And now glass bottles, which we will be using, have a lot of sort of positives. And yet at the same time, they're gener they and they are recyclable. But then most of the usage is still single use. And then if you look at that, well, single use of glass bottles, those are actually heavier 
than plastic bottles. So you're actually creating more waste by mass, by bulk. And I don't have a perfect answer, but you have to at least have the, the thinking behind it and to show what you're, you know, how you're addressing it. So that's an example of the kind of thinking we have to do. And then we look down the road, what are other package formats we can choose? And then how can we be, we're a small company, obviously, actually, we have, we have sold zero bottles of tea so far, but as we start to scale, how do we be supportive of a more circular waste system for packaging? And we have to think about that. I mean, I think that this word understates it, but I'll use it anyway. It's really inspirational that you were able to move on the idea of just tea after Coke discontinued honest tea, because I feel like they released that statement. You released your response that you were disappointed. I think it still came with a lot of positivity, your response, and then you acted on it, right? I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. would have kind of gone, well look at the world like we're doomed to get killed off by these big companies, but you decided to act on it, which is, I think, a a big part of what activism needs to be all about, right? It's acting. Yeah, that's right. That's a great, uh, thank you for putting it that way. And it's really fun. I was with some longtime friends this past weekend, one of whom is a two a day honest tea drinker. And so I really was eager to hear her response. I was able to pour her all six samples of the the new varieties we're bringing out. And it was so fun to hear her comment, which she said was, you know, usually when something is discontinued or brought back, it's never as good as it was, but this is even better. And, And so I, by the way, was until two months ago, I was really happy with the outcome for honesty. Like something I cared about was in the market, doing what I wanted it to do. I had no designs or plans to get into the bottled tea business. But once Coke made this announcement, and I realized all these things that I cared about that I had acted on for the past 20 years were all going to be, not all because Honest Kids is still out there, but so many of them were going to be undone. Like, well, I cared about them and they're still there, then I need to act. And and actually the ability to, to go and redo something But to do it with the knowledge I have now Mm. is an amazing kind of treat and luxury. You know, there were some very challenging moments for honest tea. And of course, I'm sure there'll be challenging moments for just iced tea. But to have the knowledge and experience I have now and to be able to attack the same opportunity is just so unusual. And literally yesterday, I was meeting with the largest distributor for honest tea that we had worked with in the past. And they were as excited as we were to get another crack at this. And we all are convinced, maybe it's just wishful thinking, that this will be even bigger mm. than Honesty was, just because we have the knowledge now. And of course, so much of the time with Honesty, we were struggling to build the market. And now the market has been built. And so it's, it's much easier as a st- to start with the market established versus where we were 20 years ago. We had to try to convince people that it made sense to have less sweet iced tea. We had not just convince consumers, we had to convince grocery store buyers and distributors there was a market. No one needs convincing now. Yeah. And so yeah. that's it really is a treat. Yeah. And I love how you said too, that you're taking the learnings from when you originally launched it. Because I, I know that, it, I think it was in your original post, you said you want to fight the suggestion that Honest Tea was a failed experiment. Oh, Yeah. Well, not just honest tea, but this approach to organic and fair trade and healthier mm. for the consumer, that would just be devastating. And, and, and I've heard this from the tea gardens, it would be devastating for them because they've made these investments in their people and in their 
ecosystems. And for them to feel that, well, actually, that's not the market is not going to reward that would just be uh, shattering, just a devastating. So I will not, I guess, not on my watch. I will not let that happen. <laughs> love it. Love it. And so when it comes to food justice, then, and particularly for, um, I'm thinking about companies that provide food options and therefore have the ability to innovate. Do you feel like that's maybe a part of the problem is that, you know, particularly for some of these things that are smaller, that are growing in consumer behavior, they see it as an experiment like, well, we'll give it 12 months. If it didn't work, yeah. it's not going to work ever. They mm -hmm. need to keep evolving and keep experimenting. Yeah. So just, I want to just be a little careful around the term food justice, because that could have mm -hmm. so many different meanings. You, when you say that term, you really could be talking about certain communities that lack access to food, that other communities where there's just mistreatment of diet. So, so I don't want to make it sound like we're addressing all of it, but this idea that trying to steer big companies towards either more sustainable or healthier food options, the big companies won't have the same lens that the entrepreneur will have. And ultimately, of course, and this is not in any way meant to be a barb at Coca-Cola, I think they looked at the numbers and they said, well, we have other brands that are bigger than Honest Tea. And if our strategy is to do bigger, fewer bets, we've got to go with big. And Honest Tea wasn't as big as other brands. Now, we could go back and say, well, why isn't it as big? You know, did they invest in honest tea the way they invested in other brands? You know, no, but mm. so yeah, it's, it is entirely possible when a company, especially with the changes in personnel that'll happen in a big company, you bring people in and someone else will just go in and look at numbers and say, this isn't something we should be doing. And of course, so much of what we had built for with honest tea at Coca-Cola was much bigger than the numbers in terms of reputational benefit giving them a, a connection to the consumer and the natural channel, giving them a brand that had fair trade sourcing or a brand that had less sweet. Those are things that don't necessarily make it into a financial plan. And so that's always a risk. And it is going to be, you know, they don't have, a big company does not have anything in their DNA that forces them to inculcate or calculate the values or the, the other non-financial benefits that are mm -hmm. part of a brand. And so that that's a risk. Uh, it was a risk I took and I don't have regrets about that risk. I obviously have regrets and sadness that Honest Tea is not going to be continued. But on the other hand, I'm you know so excited about this new opportunity we have with Just Iced Tea. Yeah, definitely. I can't wait to, I can't wait to try it. Um, <laughs> I think the other thing about big companies is that they don't know how to measure, I'll say, a long-term yeah. ROI, usually because they don't stick, <laughs> stick around long enough to, yeah. to measure it in that longer-term horizon. And you felt that firsthand when you were in Coke in the innovation team, right? Yeah. The innovation team that we were part of was all about building brands for the future. Mm. And so that's what was so surprising to me when they said they were going to be discontinuing on this team because I think about the future and and most people you talk to recognize, well, the future is going to be where the consumer's health concerns are more relevant, where the consumer's environmental concerns are more relevant, where the consumer's social responsibility concerns are more relevant. And that, and Honest Tea embodied all of those things. And yet their decision to discontinue Honest Tea, while you know, I'm sure they had some financial spreadsheet that showed a short-term financial benefit, it, it totally missed the long-term benefits. And, and so, and, and the fact is that that future, that innovation group that had made the investment honestly was, was essentially disbanded. So, so you know, you had short-term thinking and, and uh, yeah. 
Well, I think it's really important that you do have people outside of the industry that can make you really pay attention to, like you said, those factors that are going to be important to people in the future, but also the external factors that, you know, the company is going to be cornered with. It's great that you have people that are doing it outside of the business world, but also inside of business. You know, there are so many people, I count myself as one of these, that are really passionate about positive change and are trying to influence from the inside. Yeah. It's so much... Well, I don't know. Is it harder or maybe? Well, no, you know, you make a great point. And one of the really exciting parts of launching Honest Tea, so, you know, I was part of, we launched Honest Tea with Coca-Cola in Europe and all these other markets. And whenever we did that, there were so many people who said, I'm not, this may not be my direct area of responsibility, but I'm so excited to see this company I'm part of lean Mm -hmm. into this kind of sourcing or this kind of health profile. And, And so for them, it was a point of pride. And once again, that doesn't make it into the financial decision to discontinue the product. Mm-hmm. But that is a really important point, reputational benefit, reputa- you know, internal constituents. Mm-hmm. And so when these decisions get made, there's a lot of factors that aren't necessarily captured in a financial calculation. Mm, definitely. And when it comes to big business as well, we know that there's a greater emphasis now on the employees. Like what part of a business do you want to work for? Like what do they stand for? What positive action they're taking? Right. Which, which sort of takes me to an, another thing that I wanted to talk to you about, which is sort of being titled as the CEO activist and the difference in activism between speaking and acting or championing positive change versus maybe creating greater structure to enable that change? Yeah. So I'm never, never want to discourage CEOs from taking on important causes. Their voice is super important. I do counsel um, some caution where people all of a sudden find this kind of (laughs) excitement. Mm -hmm. I believe it's really important to look at What's the track record? Like I say, it's not a bad thing when can CEOs start to recognize this is important. But I'd love to really understand, well, what have they been doing for the past decade? And most importantly, what is the impact of their business practices, of their product itself? Mm. So it's, it's good if you can say, well, we support environmental responsibility. But what about if the product is, you know, itself is, you know, what about their sourcing and packaging and production speaks to that as well? Or even around racial issues, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, Black Lives Matter. Okay, but what is, how do you source? How do you hire? What does your board look like? What does your staff look like? So words are always good or maybe a good start. <laughs> mm-hmm. Actions are even more important. And, mm-hmm. and, and not just the actions of the past year. What are the actions of the past 10 years or the past 20 years? And that's where you really want to see people dig in and really start to invest in that. And then, then obviously, when you do that well, then your credibility is enhanced. Yeah, definitely. And so speaking of the credibility piece, there's almost like a coupling now of the CEO as the leader of the, you know, the voice of change, almost like a politician that is able to speak on behalf of the company. But I think also people are starting to look more closely at that person as not just a leader, but as an individual So how are they living their life aligned to the values that they're speaking of for the company? So do you ever get questions like that of like, do you recycle Seth and do you (laughs) only eat sustainable products? Well, I do recognize that's a real responsibility and I take it seriously. And so 
you don't try to put yourself on a pedestal, but you recognize that your behavior and your words do are observed. And not just around diet, but how you treat people, right? Mm. And so the way I treat people is going to, consciously or not, it's going to guide how other people in the company treat people. And one of the most gratifying parts of building Eat the Change is that we have people who I've been working with for more than 20 years, people who some of the, the very first employees on Honest Tea, you know, when they heard we were building Eat the Change, came back and said, I want to I join this again. <laughs> and to me, that's a great lesson in karma that, you know, if you treat people right, it'll come back around. And so I think absolutely the CEO's actions matter. You certainly shouldn't expect to get a say one thing and do another thing and then not expect people to call you on it. And and so when I was launching Eat the Change, I didn't I didn't Eat the Change was all about planet-friendly diets. Our family had been vegetarian for 15 years. And just before eat, launching Eat the Change and Plant Burger, we switched over to become vegan. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of taking it up a notch in our own personal diets. We didn't do that because I was going to be launching these companies, but I realized, well, look, if I'm really serious about this, if this is the cause, I need to really try to hold myself to the highest standard of planet-friendly diets. And I believe that a, a vegan diet is that. And I didn't do it just for the purpose of the business, but it certainly felt more credible and more holistic when we made that choice. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it it kind of also denotes that eat the change. You're you're living by the values that you're setting for the the company that you want other people to live by. And by the way, I recognize I can't and and I wouldn't try to force our employees to do this or, Mm. you know, and I'm certainly not self-righteous about it. I don't I don't try to give people a guilt trip, but I do want to try to give an example uh, and demonstrate this. You can, you can do this and be effective in work. You can do it and be, you know, I'm doing a triathlon this weekend. I don't do it because I'm trying to show you can be healthy, but it's, you know, that certainly helps demonstrate this can be part of a healthy lifestyle. There's not a sacrifice in terms of athletic performance or health. Mm. Well, I think it's really powerful that you're demonstrating that, like, even though I'm sure sometimes you have days where you're lazy and just eating some chips on the couch, maybe, <laughs> but you're trying and you're you're sort of acting on the values that you're demonstrating. And maybe that's a little bit of also what, maybe that's a lot of what makes you quite different to, I think, a form of activism that's seen in politics and this, you know, disillusionment that we're feeling from leaders inside of politics where they say one thing and they do something else. I know that you did a little bit of like political campaigning at the start of your career early on. And I think I I heard you talk in one podcast where you were saying that you were a little bit disillusioned with the posturing that happens versus actually doing stuff. Right, right. So much of, uh, and I, yeah, my wife and I met working on a presidential campaign in 1988 and I worked as a press secretary for a wonderful man Lloyd Benson in 1992 through 1994. And yet I found a lot of the political process was, there was posturing, there was talk, there wasn't as much action or there'd be some action and then it would sort of get undone and then you have another election and it just did not feel like a straight path of progress. And of course, nothing in in life is a straight path. But what's been so gratifying to me about working in this field of business is that you find something you care about, you find a way to address it, doesn't always succeed, but you address it in the marketplace. And if it does succeed, it gets multiplied and then you get to go on and, and keep building it. And so I think about if I had gone into politics and was trying to work on these issues, I think I would feel far more frustrated 
and be talking. I may have, I may have polished my campaign speech, <laughs> but I wouldn't have necessarily been able to, to look back and say, here's the impact we made. And, and so what I am able to say, whether, you know, if I talk about honest kids and say we've sold, you know, or we moved over a billion calories from the American diet just by getting honest kids into McDonald's, or I could say, talk about Beyond Meat and talk about not just the number of cows saved, but the number of the acres of land or the millions of gallons of water saved because the product is so much more environmentally efficient. Mm. And then, of course, as we think about Eat the Change and these, you know, the new products we've launched, which are super water efficient, carrots and, and mushrooms being some of the most water efficient crops compared to a crop like almonds or other super water intensive crops. Mm-hmm. And so with the entire portfolio at Eat the Change, you're you're trying to sort of think about how you can address some of those issues. And so I'm curious what your take is about companies where they have brands that do positive change. And I'm thinking of like Unilever and Ben and & Jerry's as an example, where the rest of their portfolio might not be so positive. So mm-hmm. can do you think you can uncouple the corporate brand from the brands that operate underneath it? Absolutely. Yeah. It really goes to the impact. And as long as the impact of a brand like a Ben and Jerry's is there and it keeps growing, it's going to be influential internally. People will say, this is something we can do. And and then what you start to see, and we've seen this in big companies all around, they start to recognize purpose is important for the employees, for the other stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And then they go back and try to inject it into brands that may not have had that. You know, it's you look at a brand like Dove, the soap brand, it was just a soap. And now they've really tried to expanded into a brand that thinks about body image and positive messaging for people of all different shapes, you know, and, and so it helps them and think about or expand their notion of what social purpose and, and mission purpose can be in a brand. Mm. And the injection of purpose into brands that didn't have it before, I think for the sake of the employees and so that you know what your brand is working towards is really important versus maybe tacking it on as an afterthought. It has to be natural. It has to fit. Like it wouldn't make sense. Let's go back to the Dove example. It wouldn't make sense for them to go start talking about environmental sustainability that unless maybe they were talking about saving doves or something. I mean, you know, it's not a natural extension of the brand, but in a beauty brand, expanding the notion of what is beauty and making people who may not feel they had a place in the world of beauty feel like there's a place that can be really important. So it's great when you can see brands understand their relevance. And, and the fact is, if you, you know, you, talk, you know, I'm biased, but I'd say every brand has to have a purpose. Every brand can have a purpose. And it's just the chat, you know, failure to have a purpose as a brand, in my view, is just either lack of a sense of responsibility or lack of imagination. And, and what I would want to feel like if I, and I, I find it hard, in fact, to relate to people who don't feel this way, I'd want to wake up every morning feeling like my job is to act on the things I care about. Mm. And I think there are a few sadder outcomes than someone to say, I'm, I'm just doing this work because I need a paycheck and what I do doesn't matter. That to me is, is a lost potential of a person, lost potential of economic sort of cog. <laughs> right, right. And you know, thinking about what should be fueling you and your motivation as yeah. a human being. So yeah. I'm curious then, what about when you're creating positive purpose when you've created the problem as well. So going back to Dove, sorry, Dove, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) creating, um, you know, comparative beauty standards and a harsh environment Mm -hmm. and then trying to create a positive change. 
I mean, that mm. kind of progress is good, but you do you need to address the fact that, I mean, Ben & Jerry's is another example of like you're just playing into ice cream, high sugar products in the end, <laughs> yeah. right? So I think everyone has to do sort of within their capabilities, right? It, it would be, it wouldn't work for Ben & Jerry's to go out and start a campaign around weight responsibility. That's just not their role. And, you know, I, I, I have respect for Ben & Jerry's, but I also... Going back to what I said earlier about you have to think about the impact of the product it has, you know, that's it's certainly not a perfect outcome, but it has to be credible as well. So, look, at the same time, you know, I eat ice cream. I mean, there's a there plant based ice cream, but I do. <laughs> and, and there's a role. I certainly wouldn't, you know, so every, I think there is a role for almost every. There's, we can have a lot of discussion about certain categories of products that I don't think really play a constructive role in society, but almost every product out there can have a constructive role in society. And you, you even see it with the alcohol companies where they start to really recognize moderation and to talk about whether it's drunk driving or addiction and helping people address those things. So I think self-awareness, it goes a long way. And then being a companion and a partner with the consumer to demonstrate you really do care about their overall wellness. You're not just trying to <laughs> take advantage of them. Yeah. And I, I think especially as we think about and look at this with respect to restaurants. I mean, you know, now it's funny because my son who works at the marketing and plant burger is super healthy. He's, he's probably the healthiest person I know and strong and, and he eats a ton of plant burger. I mean, cause he's, you know, is in the restaurant, <laughs> but I can't in good conscience encourage anybody to eat plant burger for every meal. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a treat. So I certainly have plant burger a few times a week and I love it, but I wouldn't eat it every day. Um, but that doesn't mean that plant burger can't, doesn't have an important role to play in helping people adapt their diets and helping them discover the joys of plant-based food. So just have to understand the context you operate in. Yeah. Yeah. The context. And like you said before, having a, a level of self-awareness. So yeah. I think another big thing is in that same train of thought is accountability for what you pledge also. Mm, so I was yeah. looking at um, sustainability mag and the top 10 most sustainable companies in the world. One of them was H&M because they are branching off into these new avenues that are more sustainable. But I think that that's potentially that kind of thing makes it confusing for consumers to figure out like, who should I buy? Yeah. Because there's so much greenwashing that's happening yeah. at the moment and other types of washing and posturing. Mm -hmm. So how important is being accountable, not just for your goals and your aspirations for change, but in what, what impact you are having? Well, it's critical. And so this is, you know, we're, what's wonderful about this age we're in is there is so much more information available to consumers. And it's not just what's on websites, it's in the social media as well. Mm. And I, I believe that if somebody goes out and is, is trying to greenwash or pull the wool over eyes, it's not that I've tried, tried it. It's much harder to do these days than it used to be 10 or 20 years ago, where, you know, a, a glossy PR report would sort of be mm. enough. Um, mm. Now you've got a lot of much more scrutiny. And the other thing is that consumers are armed with information. They can arm each other with more information. And then what we do at, at Eat the Change, as we did with Honest Tea, is we rely on third-party verification. So, you know, the fact that all the varieties of sold by Eat the Change and Just Ice Tea will be certified organic, that's a third-party inspection that happens. Same with Fair Trade. That's a third-party inspection where there's people inspecting the working conditions, inspecting the gardens, inspecting the flow of money, 
to make sure that these communities really receive the funds we claim to, to be sending back to the workers. So those are important steps for the consumer. And of course, the consumer understands we can't put the USDA organic seal on our bottle just because we want it. We have mm. to have a paper trail that goes from the tea garden through the bottling plant that documents these things. And, and so consumers, I say, are increasingly looking for these kind of standards and, and they are increasingly starting to understand that's how you can make sure your concerns are being addressed, honestly. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's amazing the work that you're doing. I think that you come across, like you bring a great level of responsibility, self-awareness, accountability, but also positivity into all of the things that you're launching and that you're looking at. And I can see that you go really, like you're very knowledgeable on all of the topics that you're talking about. So I can imagine you go very deep quite often. So final question for you then is how you step out of that. How do you look outside? So first, let me just, I just want to follow up on that point that it, um, and I appreciate you saying that. I think it's also really important. It is important to have, to take these things seriously, to have the depth of knowledge on it. It's also important though, to communicate the fun that's being involved, right? So <laughs> if all I try to do is it throw us to talk about the working conditions and 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 fair trade and the, you know, the formula for compensating the, the workers, that's not fun for the consumer. So we've got to make sure that we communicate how how fun this is and, and let the consumer feel that fun because mm-hmm. that's part of the joy of doing this. And, and so I think that's a, a, an important just tone thing to have. For me, a great way to step outside and is to be actually connected to these communities. So I, lo- I will be going back to the tea gardens. I, one of the consistently most satisfying parts of Honest Tea was whenever I got to meet the people growing the tea leaves and being in, the, in these amazing, pristine gardens, whether it's in China or India or Africa or Paraguay, and just to see the impact that our, all of our collective purchasing decisions had on, on these communities was so wonderful. And so no surprise that for me also, you know, stepping outside, literally outside of the, you know, the office, it, the best way for me to get perspective is to be outside, <laughs> to be in nature, to be away from the work and with people who may have a different perspective, who, who live life differently, who ask different questions. And, and even though a lot of my family is involved in this kind of field now, seeing and hearing the world through them. Uh, mm-hmm. my, my sons or my wife is always enlightening and frankly has led to some of the best ideas. You know, whether it was, you know, Honest Kids was inspired by, my, by one of my sons. Going vegan was inspired by another son. The phrase eat the change was inspired by one of my sons. So mm-hmm. I get a ton of insights just from being around people I love and, and uh, love interacting with. Thank you so much for sharing your experience and your perspective with us. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Joe. I enjoyed it. What a way to end season two of Looking Outside. I don't know about you, but Seth really made me think about what the causes are that I believe in, how I can not just champion them, but act to create some purpose, if not for my brands, for myself. If you enjoyed this chat and this season, I hope you follow and share the show and I will see you in season three. Until then, keep looking outside.